About this movie, Dave Kerr of the Chicago Tribune says it's the sort of film that can only be watched in stunned disbelief as it lumbers from one misfired, unpleasant sequence to the next. Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly calls it sheer hell. But Letterboxd user Ian West counterpoints by saying, Don't know how this got made in 1991, but I also don't care. I'm just happy it exists. Also, can confirm that this shit would, could, and probably has happened in New Jersey. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we wrap up October with Dan Aykroyd's directorial debut, Nothing But Trouble. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Vulcanvania. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> Everyone's favorite stop off the New Jersey Turnpike. Actually, it's not even off the Turnpike. You would have to, I mean, it's off of some, let's see, how do you get from well, New t- York to they, Atlantic City? Well, they took the scenic route, so I'm guessing they went through the Pine Barrens. Uh, well, the Pine Barrens, that's... I figured that they were probably, we'll get to this. We'll get to this. We're talking about nothing but trouble. <laughs> we're just Jersey geography in the Jersey first geography, 20 seconds. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I already have so many things that I want to say about all of that. But we are, okay, this is going to be a, a long one, probably. So <laughs> brace yourselves. Like, the synopsis for the movie Nothing But Trouble is just like, oh, boy. Like, I wrote college term papers that were shorter than this. Well, it's kind of like if you're going to do And I can't believe that this is one that I'm doing sober. Well, yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, Confessions. I have the diploma. It's fine. Yeah. No. Oh, oh, oh. I just thought you meant like this is the first episode of Ruined Childhoods that you're recording sober. But you Oh, I'm type- drinking I'm definitely drinking you wine mean, right now. Uh yeah. So we're talking about nothing nothing but trouble today from nineteen ninety one. This is the last film of October. Dan. It is the end. And so I'm glad you mentioned that, John. I'm glad you <laughs> mentioned it because there are so many Dan Aykroyd movies that we haven't discussed. And I mean, yes, of course, there's there's Ghostbusters, which kind yeah. of has, is beyond, uh, you know, our realm here. There's Ghostbusters. There's the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which kind of like- The one that it, you know, started it all for him. Yeah. There's, there's so many others. And I wanted to just point out a couple of Dan Aykroyd movies that I watched in addition to- Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've already talked about some of them that I've watched during the month of October, like Coneheads. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, what else have you been watching? I I watched Dragnet again recently. Did you? Dragnet to me, Dragnet we could have covered under our in our 1987 theme month because Dragnet to me is such a... I remember that movie coming out in 1987. I remember it being a hit. I remember kids I knew saw it. I didn't see it in the theater, but I remembered it was a big deal. It was it was a big uh, 
you know, it was a big movie that that came out that that summer. And right. I know it, it doesn't it, it it wasn't necessarily critically acclaimed. And I think it, it made money. I don't think it was like the it wasn't the blockbuster hit of the summer. But I have to say it might be the nostalgia factor, but I really still enjoy Dragnet. And I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite Tom Hanks comedic performances. Oh, well, I mean, it, this is towards the beginning of his career. He's fresh faced. He's the he's goofy Tom Hanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I remember watching Dragnet when I was a kid and just like loving him in it because I don't know, he was for me, somebody who never could identify with anybody who's very straight laced law enforcement type like, you know, Joe Friday you yeah. know, you have the Tom Hanks characters to pop in and show you the youthful, weird side of things. And he's just so good at that. Well, that was that was so much was. fun. I in mean, it. he's that, not so well, much yeah, youthful yeah. anymore. No, I'm saying that was but that was so much. It, that was what, uh, one of the things that was so good in Dragnet and what Aykroyd does in Dragnet. And maybe it's also because when I saw it as a kid, I didn't necessarily think about this stuff as much. But he basically takes like, I don't like an impression, like an SNL sketch impression. Mm. And which I don't recall if he ever did Joe Friday on SNL, but it kind of plays like that, you know, like it's an SNL movie, but huh? I really like what he does with the character. And I really, I, I like the script. I feel like it's a very old fashioned, like by the numbers, mystery where you have right. you know the the police commissioner who's secretly working with the the reverend who is secretly in charge of the like the the cult that's been terrorizing and also like when i saw this at 10 years old i didn't make connections of you know like of los angeles and cults and the mansons no. and you had that. no first hand experience with any of those things well, I still don't have firsthand experience with it, but um, oh, you never I, got in. You you were never a part of the Manson family. No, not an official part. I was like an uncle that wasn't actually related. Um, <laughs> so you were? Was it Bruce Dern in uh, Once oh, Upon a Time in Hollywood? <laughs> God, no that uh, that poor man. Yeah, well, no, uh, I was. I think I think Dan. I think that one reason why you might connect. Dragnet with being kind of like an SNL movie, and I'm gonna give you a visual aid, but it might be because there's one poster where there's clouds behind them. There's a blue sky and clouds behind them, which is the signature move for an That's SNL Hallmark. movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I quickly had to Google that because I was like, oh man, I feel like I remembered seeing one version, <laughs> and I mean, like you know, you look at the the cone heads. Uh, oh, poster and that one's got the like blue sky with the clouds the white puffy clouds behind yep. them wayne's world wayne's old. world for sure yeah 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 no but i thought dragnet was i thought a lot of fun and Ackroyd really carries it he stays in this character but gives it some nuance and christopher Plummer is so much fun oh, he's in that i haven't seen this in so long i was oh, definitely he... unaware of who christopher Plummer was the last time i saw dragnet Christopher Plummer is the Reverend Jonathan Worley in it. 
And he is, he looks like he's having so much fun. Good. I want Christopher Plummer to have fun. Dabney Coleman is in it. You know, I didn't even know that Dabney Coleman was in it, but it just sounds right. Yeah. So totally worth. I'm trying to remember. So you watched like, Dragnet. Yeah, yeah I watched so Dragnet. I watched, I watched the two My Girl movies, uh, Coneheads. We've already talked about things like Temple of Doom that he pops up in. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Was, was there anything else that you watched to uh, get in the mode? No, not really. Like I, I, I really would have liked to have watched 1941 again. Right. It's one of those movies that I, I always, when it's streaming or I see it on somewhere, I always want to watch it. And then I start watching it and then I find myself wondering why isn't this better? Why am I not enjoying this more? Right. It's like, it has all of the right people behind it. I I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it myself. But I mean, from I haven't what seen I it understand, in a while, but you know, it's got the makings for a classic. Except, you know what? When I think about it, I can't think of one line from it. Is so was was it written by Zemeckis and Gale? Didn't Zemeckis and Gale write it? I think they wrote it, and then uh, Spielberg directed it. Spielberg directed it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, and it's John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd. Right. So Belushi, Aykroyd, I think Candy is in it. Mm. Ned Beatty. Oh, it, a good Ned Beatty appearance. Well, we've got, God damn it, talk about 70s All-Stars, because you've got Murray Hamilton, a.k.a. the mayor from Jaws. Right. Um, who and also is from in there. Seconds. And also, yes, also from Seconds. Before. Yeah. But anyone who knows their memes would recognize Murray Hamilton as Mayor from Jaws. And also from Jaws, Lorraine Garay mm-hmm. is back, um, is in is in 1941. We've got Tim Matheson, hot off Animal House, Christopher right. Lee. Uh, this has just gotten like Robert Stack is in it. Yeah. John Candy. So many people, Eddie De- Patty Lapone, Patty Lapone. So yes, Lapone and Aykroyd. Patty Lapone. Yeah. Uh, so it's got all of these people. It was written by, yep, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale of Back to the and, Future. Uh, well, I mean, clearly yeah. Zemeckis, but I'm talking about just in terms of writing, because I think that yeah. Back to the Future is what they did right after 1941. That would that would uh, timeline wise that would work yeah. out. But yeah, I am, and maybe Spiel, maybe Spielberg was not the right director for like some type of epic war comedy. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time he still was, you know, he certainly didn't have the roster of movies under his belt. Like he certainly had Close Encounters and Jaws. Like, uh, what year was Sugarland Express? Yeah. What year was 1941? I think it was 79. Okay, so this is before E.T. So, anyway. Yeah, 79. Yeah. So, anyway, Dan Aykroyd, we salute you. We raise a glass. Unfortunately, we don't have any Crystal Head vodka, but uh, we would raise a glass of that if we had it. So, on our last episode, we mentioned the idea of a, uh, a an awards ceremony or award system called the hindsight awards which would be going back and looking at the academy award winners and having some hindsight seeing would that really still be the best movie the best actor the best actress of that year 
have those things to the test of time. Uh, we have not taken any steps to actually do this, but um, thank you for the email, French Fry Phil, for encouraging us to explore this idea. Uh, if anybody does want to email us, it's ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I mean, I would absolutely love to devote a lot of time to the Hindsight Awards, but I also feel like uh, as much as I would love to do this, Dan, you and I would not be the proper jury for this type of thing as we are two white guys and uh you know we can only put in our our perspectives we can try to be oh, uh, you know yeah. mindful of of the thoughts of all but you know there's probably a lot of movies out there that have just blown right past us that a lot of people would know about just because of you know the things that were directed towards us during those times yeah so I mean, that's why it's hindsight. You know, we're looking back and we're saying, right. oh, look at all these gems that I, that just flew, flew under the radar for me. Yeah. Like this one. Do, no. do you have any, <laughs> yeah. Do you have any, uh, one more things or anything to talk about? Um, no. Any, yeah. Neither do I. Um, let should we just get into nothing but trouble? Razzie yes, award let's. winner. <laughs> so, so we're coming off of, um, Driving Miss Daisy, for which Dan Aykroyd was nominated for the Best Supporting Actor uh, Academy Award. And then you have, you know, this is two years later, and he wins the Razzie for Worst Actor. (laughs) Uh, Wow. I mean, I think, was it Sandra Bullock who won the Best Actress Academy Award and the Worst Actress in the same year. In the same year. Yeah. 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 For, um, uh, and I think Blind she showed up at All the... About Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, wasn't she the one who showed up at the Razzies and like takes up the award? Or I don't know. <laughs> I feel like someone did That's that. That's a classy one. move. That is a classy move. That's a classy but move. Yeah. You, you know what, though? I Watching this again, talk about hindsight here. I feel like I... Und- I I feel like Dan Aykroyd's work in this film is underappreciated. And that is to say, no one really appreciates it, which is, uh, I, I think, a problem. Because right. honestly, I feel like when I watch this and I watch Driving Miss Daisy, I feel like he's working so much harder in Nothing But Trouble. Probably because right. he's playing like three characters. But Yeah. So, okay. So Dan Aykroyd wrote this with his brother, Peter. Uh, he was the uh, supporting actor in... Two different roles, directed it, produced it. You know, this is one his his pet project, one of his pet projects. I guess you could say that Ghostbusters is also up there. This one was less of a this this was less of a pet project. Well, this was you know inspired by a real thing that happened to him, and you know he he's coming off of a a, a string of movies where he's gotten. A lot of notoriety. You know, you have Driving Miss Daisy, you have Ghostbusters. And I think that this was an opportunity for him to just be like, you know, do whatever, do whatever you're going to do. And there won't be as much pushback because I feel like this one, if this was not somebody who was coming off of so much success, this would have been squashed instantly. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. Oh, um... No, I'm just I'm like I had done some some research mm-hmm. into it, and this was far from a sure thing. This, I didn't this was say far from a sure uh, thing. I mean, there was a lot of like 
trouble in getting this. And Ackroyd only directed it because no one else would. And Right. Yeah. But it's, you know, it was an insanely expensive movie. And they went, I think, $5 million over budget. And going back to what you were saying about this movie really being more like a better I don't know, push for Dan Aykroyd, more, him putting more work into his work. I think that this is also a perfect example of like, you know, Dan Aykroyd really swinging for the fences on every pitch. And it's, there's a lot of things about it where like, you know, I think that if everybody was on the same page with what was going on, it could have really succeeded. And I'm talking about like Chevy Chase and Demi Moore, this well, movie, well, from what I read also, like the crew was having a ball making this with the exception of Chevy Chase being a complete asshole. The crew was just having a great time. They were chipping in ideas and they were be- the ideas are being implemented, which is why they went mm-hmm. over budget. So, you know, it's like I'm glad for for that, that people behind this movie, with the exception of Chevy Chase and the people in his warpath, uh, having a really good time. Well, and what I was reading is that there is a director's cut. Like, there is a cut of this somewhere. Like, basically, Warner Brothers saw a cut and was like, it's too dark, it's too weird, it's too crazy, and just chopped it up, which, knowing that watching the movie explains so much because there's so much in the movie that seems very random and and unexplained, which is, Mm. I think, why I initially didn't like it when I saw it back in 1991. <laughs> oh, totally. And I, you know, when you look up things about this movie, if you find it on other podcasts, it's all, it's all podcasts talking about bad movies. And I feel like I, I'm glad that we're taking the opportunity to talk about it in a way that's not just like shitting on it completely and, and talking about the things that make it special. Because I have is, a lot of, appreciation for this movie it's you know say what you will it is a cult classic like it is something that people talk about it's something people think about it's a movie that you know even though it can be looked at as just being a bad movie people talk about it and enjoy watching it for how bad it is and that's not everybody because i certainly watched it just recently enjoying it really enjoying it and you know yeah Laura, my wife, was with me, and she just could not believe what she was seeing, and not in a, you've got to turn this off way. I know that there's a lot of moments that people just are completely repulsed by, but it wasn't the case. No, I had uh, had the same experience watching it again and and thinking about, I maybe understanding it on a deep, deeper level, and I know that you'll get into the synopsis, so kind of seeing um, a bit more of the relevance of the plot and understanding some of the characters a bit better. I also just really felt as I was watching it, knowing like, okay, there is a much longer version of this movie that probably clarifies a lot that is not clarified. Right. And honestly, I would watch the director's cut. If if ever it was to surface, I would be all about it. Oh, I was looking, I was looking for it. Yeah, I was hoping I'd be able to find it somewhere online. But yeah, no, because I really think that there is something, I mean, yeah, it's bizarre and it's grotesque, but it 
there's something there and it's bold and it stands, it stands, it's, you, you won't see anything else like it. Right. All right, Dan, you ready? Financial journalist Chris Thorne has it all. A penthouse apartment in Manhattan, a sweet beamer, oodles of money, and the admiration of his friends and wealth management clients. But what he doesn't have is companionship of a member of the fairer sex. But when he has a chance encounter in an elevator with Diane, a lawyer and new resident in his building, his life takes a hard left turn and doesn't even slow down at the stop sign. Diane notices that Chris has a file relating to a case she's trying to get and discovers that there's a hearing the following day in Atlantic City that she needs to get to in order to get a piece of the action. Hoping for a chance to woo her, Chris offers her a ride. They meet the next day in the garage, but their party is crashed by Fausto and Ronaldo, a sibling pair of Brazilianer clients of Chris's who won't take Bud out for an answer. On their way down the New Jersey Turnpike, questionable, Fausto and Ronaldo insist that they turn off someplace scenic where they can have a picnic. This leads them to Vulcanvania, a poor old coal town that is anything but scenic. When Chris fails to come to a full stop at a stop sign, local sheriff Dennis Valkenheiser follows closely behind. When he puts his sirens on, Fausto and Ronaldo insist that Chris's beamer can outgun the cops and encourage him to put the pedal to the metal. What they don't count on is Dennis's souped-up cruiser that has no problem catching up. In fact, he's also able to flip a switch and block off a road, forcing Chris, Diane, and the Brazilians to come to a stop. Dennis, in an act of kindness, writes them up only for the stop sign incident and not for the high-speed chase, but they need a ruling first by the local justice of the peace, Judge Alvin Valkenheiser, Dennis's grandfather. They are led through the judge's property, a terrifying junkyard filled with rusted and twisted metal, up to the crazy old house where the judge lives. After they enter, they are led into a courtroom and series of Rube Goldberg mechanisms that insert Judge Alvin into the room. He's old and decrepit and has it out for Chris once he finds out that he works in finance, which to the judge means that he's a banker. On top of that, Chris, Diane, and the Brazilians say some pretty rude things that offend the judge. While they await judgment that is supposed to come the next day, an angry Judge Alvin drops them into a pit filled with squeaky toys. While they're there, they hear the judge take another case. A group of drug dealers are sentenced to death by Mr. Bonestripper, a roller coaster on the property that sends its passengers into a processing plant that spits out their dry bones. That's when the four New Yorkers are invited to join the judge and his family for dinner. Hot dogs, anyone? Judge Alvin explains that Vulcanvania was once a vibrant coal town founded by his ancestors, but after a crooked banker mismanaged their money, the town fell apart, leaving it beyond repair, and also leaving Alvin with a tireless grudge against anyone in finance. The Brazilians freak out and jump out of a window in an attempt to escape the property. Also at the dinner, we meet Eldona, Judge Alvin's granddaughter, who catches Chris and Diane as they attempt to escape as well. They are held in a bedroom where Chris decides to take his chance and put the moves on Diane, who is shockingly into it. But that comes to a halt once the house seems to come to life and presents them with a secret passageway. They discover a room filled with driver's licenses and newspaper clippings for hundreds of bankers who have passed through Vulcanvania with a one-way ticket, including Jimmy Hoffa. I must have dozed off during this part in The Irishman. Suddenly, another passageway opens up. This one presents a slide. They really have no choice but to use it as, an, as a chance to escape. Diane goes first, but at a fork in the slide, she goes one way and Chris goes the other. Diane's way leads her outside. Chris isn't as lucky. 
he's jumped off into a pile of dry bones and into an area next to Judge Alvin's bedroom, where he sees the judge get ready for bed by removing a prosthetic leg and nose and wig, revealing a quite ghastly sight. Once Chris is caught, he and the judge get into a pretty gnarly knife fight, but it's cut short once the judge is informed that a group of traveling musicians is awaiting judgment. Chris stumbles into Eldona, and a house rule is set into place. The first man to touch Eldona has to marry her. Eldona takes Chris up to her bedroom while the judge presides over the musicians, Digital Underground, who performs a song not just for the judge, but with the judge. He likes them and thinks that the world needs more music, so he sets them free, but not before they perform at an upcoming wedding, that of Chris and Eldona. At this point, you might be wondering what happened to Diane. Well, Diane wandered through the junkyard and straight into the judge's other grandchildren, Bobo and Lil Devil, mutant diapered twins who aren't allowed in the main house. Diane finds a way to befriend them, winning their favor over a game of cards. At this point, you might be wondering what happened to the Brazilians. Well, after they escaped the house, they encountered the vile moat that surrounds the property. They swim to the other side and encounter Sheriff Dennis. They offer him a ton of money in exchange for their freedom. Okay, back to the house. It's Chris and Aldona's wedding, officiated by the judge, featuring music by Digital Underground. When Chris attempts to escape by way of Digital Underground's mercy, the judge gets pissed and sentences him to death by Mr. Bonestripper. He manages to break the coaster, freeing him to escape with Diane into his mostly stripped-down car. They go straight to the feds and recount their entire story. They join the feds back at the Valkenheiser property and go as far as to knock on the door. When the judge answers, the entire squad of dozens of feds greet their old friend Judge Valkenheiser, who takes care of people that they can't touch, seeing as how the judge works by pre-Magna Carta law. But luck is on Chris and Diane's side when the ground opens up due to the underground coal fires that made Vulcanvania unminable generations earlier. The house and entire property are destroyed, and Chris and Diane once again escape. Once they are back in New York, Chris sees that the Vulcanvania fire has made the news. Shockingly, the judge appears in a brief interview where he tells the reporter that all is well and he'll be moving in with his new son-in-law in New York, flashing Chris's driver's license to the camera. And as though this movie hadn't already gone off the rails, Chris jumps through the apartment wall, leaving a perfectly precise Chris-shaped hole. Oh, and the Brazilians? They're living large with Dennis Valkenheiser, their new bodyguard and Ronaldo's main squeeze. Oh, Chris Thorne is played by Chevy Chase. Dan Aykroyd plays the judge and Bobo. John Candy plays Dennis and Eldona. Demi Moore is Diane. Uh... And then uh, Fausto is Taylor Negron, and Ronaldo is Bertilla Damas. Wow, Dan. Wow. Yeah, indeed. So much happens in this, and it's completely crazy. You know, there are certain things that I know that if we could see the director's cut would make a lot more sense. Uh, we catch glimpses of like how this house works, but not fully a lot of it does seem to be pretty random yeah there's a lot of the things like like eldona being mute i mean bobo and lil lil devil lil devil like there's no backstory on them right they are and they're these like giant sweaty they each have like four breasts (laughs) and they just wear diapers and 
They have. They kind of look like 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 sloth. They have like look a little bit like sloth. Yeah, like from Goonies. If Tweedledee and Tweedledum melted in in, in a yeah. toxic waste plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see if there's more background on them on like what the effects because it seems like it's a very environment like it's a very environmental story a story about the dangers of you know of you know messing with the planet too much yeah which i feel like if it, if maybe the extended cut would have a little bit more well because that's tied into the corruption of yeah. the the bankers so, yeah, so this is the one thing that I wanted to come back to is that our protagonists, or our main protagonist, who's Chris, he's not just not a good guy, but like he gets himself into all of this trouble. He doesn't do anything to help himself. Like, we have no reason to want him to succeed other than the fact that we're told that he is the good guy. Because he's Chevy Chase. Because he's Chevy Chase. And you're not. <laughs> yeah yeah yep um yeah so it's kind of weird because like in this case you do have the city folk being the good guys and the you know the country folk who have been wronged as the bad guys and granted the judge does do some pretty insane stuff and is horribly disfigured from his time in France in World War One, I, I want to say, yeah. yeah, 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 pretty, pretty nasty. Well, and uh, they're cannibals, <laughs> right? Well, that's another question I had. Are the hot dogs people? That was my impression. Because we're yeah, it's like where does the rest of the 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 body go in Mister Bone Stripper? We just see femurs well, <laughs> and like yeah, a couple skulls. and they and they eat like. Right after that, that uh, yeah. Right after, like Barry the Blade gets skinned or whatever. Oh, Barry the Blade! Sorry. I will he just say, reminded me of Barry the Blade. Yeah, that was was that that was one of those. Which Baldwin was that? Was that a Daniel Baldwin? Daniel Baldwin. You, I want Judge Wapner. <laughs> I have to fling the fifth dimension. Okay, okay. Well, let's see here. What we got? We got your uh, crack and ice cocaine here. And you got your pills and your vials of coke and your snorters and pipes and grinders. And get your gun here. And you got your switchblade knives. Well, since you're all having a horrible of a time on some kind of a hopped-up date, I believe that we can get this all over relatively simply and have you people on your way, so step forward to the bench, please. Hey, see that? Nice one to stand and judge, you know what I'm saying? Nice guy. You take care of this. I'm going to go out for a smoke. Go for a smoke? Dennis, they got guns, drugs. One of them trying to kill you. I'll show you to watch. Okay, well, I hereby find all parties culpable in these matters as charged. So choose to invade the maximum levy for these violations and do therefore deem that you be conveyed to a holy, oh, awful place of execution wherein you shall be put to death. I will say the ants on a log appetizer is the funniest thing to serve at a dinner party. 
It makes perfect sense. It's so wonderful that they are first given ants on a log. I <laughs> love that. That cracked me up so much. It's just such a go weird thing. Like I can just see Dan in like Peter Aykroyd, like sitting around writing this, just being like, what's something weird that they can serve them first? And then it's like, I don't know, like ants on a log. Like it's just like the most random snack food does he treat all traffic violators this graciously? Only the ones he takes a special interest in, like bankers. Ants on a log, ma'am. Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love one. Cousin? Oh, ant. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm sure there was some like crazy ant who used to serve ants on a log. I mean, well, I, sorry, I did not, pun not intended there. Yeah, well, it happened. <laughs> I didn't realize it until I came out. Um, but I'm sure some, some relative was like, oh yeah, remember she would always serve those ants on a log? Oh yeah, that was always weird. Let's yeah, use that. Exactly. Also, like this movie definitely, and I don't know if this happened because they removed... Well, I guess this would have to be because they needed to lighten up the movie, but there's just so many like 80-yard lines from Chevy Chase. Like, And it's not like they're jokes. It's just that Chevy Chase saying something the way that Chevy Chase says something, like commenting on things. Look at this metal sculpture. It must be into folk art. Welcome. It's it's his smug asides. Yeah. And it's they, yeah. they're not jokes. They're not funny. It's just the way he says them no. gives you the impression that he's saying something funny. I mean, like when they're driving there, he's reading like every sign in the road. Like he's, you know, our mom when she's had a few drinks. That's a joke that Denny's nobody home will, of a thousand meats. <laughs> no one else will understand this. This was a one time thing. And mom, if you're listening, this never happens. It only happened one time. <laughs> Well, <laughs> we're referring to one time specifically. This is true. Uh, this is true. Yeah, we don't know that it never happens. But yeah, and it's so odd to me that the if I mean, first of all, Demi Moore's character Diane is just so she's very spastic. I uh, she something that I didn't go over in the synopsis is that it starts off with her going through this whole thing with an like a recently broken up with ex-boyfriend. And like, he's part of the whole reason why they're going to Atlantic city in the first place. Like he has something to do with this. Well, she's an attorney. She- she's an attorney. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, this is like her boss or whatever that she's. It, it definitely felt like they gave us so much information at the beginning. That's completely pointless. That like is hard to kind of follow. You knew in the building. <laughs> you all right. <laughs> I'll be in the penthouse if you change your mind. Howard Sons' office. 
Miriam, this is Diane. Let me talk to Howard. I'm sorry, Miss Lightson. He left explicit instructions not to be disturbed. What's going on with this landfill deal? I'm only his goddamn lawyer. Why didn't I know about it? He said he's doing the deal. Your services won't be needed professionally or personally. Look, this is not about our personal relationship, Miriam. This is business. Do you understand? It's about my, my professional credentials, my, my law firm's time. Why am I talking to you? You know what? You just tell Howard that I'm coming down there. Excuse me. Oh. Hi. Hi, glad you could make it. Thanks. Diane Lightson. I'm with the firm of Masser and Glennett. Chris Thorne. Sorry about the cold hands. Don't worry about it. The law firm Masser Glennett? Weiss, Weiss, Warple, Whitney? Yeah, that's the one. What's your specialty? Uh, investment syndication and public flotation. It's got to be painful. Would you like a drink? I'd love one. Scotch? Great. Are you okay? Yeah, fine. Scotch. Are you going to the Suns thing? <laughs> Are you kidding? Not unless somebody holds a gun to my head. He's a fraud. He's a rip-off artist. It's all about buying lakes and filling them with garbage. I don't know what set you off in the elevator, but if I were you, I'd stay away from this sun sky. Let's just say I have a personal interest in this particular deal. So if you're not going, can I borrow your car? Whoa, whoa, I'm a good driver. I didn't say I'm not going. I just said I'm not planning on going. May have a low opinion of the guy, but it's that important to you. But yet some information that would have had a point would be explaining why after just meeting him in the elevator, next thing you know, she wants to drive she wants to go she wants to borrow his car. She wants to borrow his car. Yeah. 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 So she wants to borrow his car, and they've just according to the movie, at least, they've just met. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems so uh, inconsistent and she's like like he's terrible he gets her into all this trouble that's where the movie title comes from right well the thing is she's and this is from the scene where they are in like the bedroom and he's trying to like i don't know woo her and everything and she's talking about how she always ends up with like these awful dudes who just like are terrible to her and don't treat her well and then like they start making out and then she kind of pushes him away and she's like oh you're you're nothing but trouble all of this is about some hustler who dumped on you right isn't it well what about sons really i mean what were you planning on doing when you got down to atlantic city and confronted him slap his face in front of a room full of investors that's a hell of a way to break up with a guy if that's what you're doing So you pick the wrong guy. Happens to the best of us. I've been through this. You know, when it comes to love, there's no accounting for taste. Hell, I used to be married to Imelda Marcos. You don't have to put yourself through this. A guy like that's going to end up burying himself anyway. He doesn't deserve you. You're too good for him. I'm just such a jerk. I mean, why do I always pick the wrong guy? I mean, I'm... I'm so trusting and so gullible. I mean, I don't know why I'm such a pushover. I mean, I'm such a sucker. I love a pretty face. Oh, it's, oh, it's so embarrassing. Oh, 
better lie down. Or you're nothing but trouble. Which I know that this also, that wasn't the original, nor like the third, fourth, or fifth title of the movie. That's just how it ended up. I think that Vulcanvania was Dan Aykroyd's intended. And I think that it went into production as like Terror House or Crazy House, something like that. I think it went, I think I I remember in um, reading in Premiere Magazine. uh, (laughs) Trick House, Trick House. Trick House? Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, that has a whole different meaning now. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And probably then. Uh, I remember seeing it listed as Valkenvania. Oh, you actually point. remembered seeing it listed in there? I remember seeing Valkenvania listed at some point as, like, you know, upcoming projects or whatever it was. It might have been like they were going into production. Because I started getting that magazine in 89. Okay. So it would have made sense at some point in that time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember it was yeah, Falconvania and it was this I, weird thing that was set in this weird town in New Jersey. And yeah. And, you know, for anybody listening who doesn't know us, like we grew up in New Jersey. And I think that when this was airing on HBO all the time and, you, you know, being a little kid from New Jersey, when you see a movie about New Jersey that's not like about the mafia, it's, you know, kind of like fascinating you're kind of like like oh it's the new jersey turnpike i know that i'm seven <laughs> yeah exactly well also I, I feel like yeah i can't think of too much that was really set in jersey like really like focused on a jersey setting um at that like now i can but sure yeah as of then i can't i can't think of too many you yeah. know and high profile yeah and the town of Alkenvania is Inspired by Centralia, Pennsylvania, that did that does have this like underground coal fire situation going on, and uh, for this to be in New Jersey is also a little perplexing, just in terms of coal mining situations. Pens- it makes way less sense than just having them needing to go someplace in Pennsylvania and ending up in you know they're just in New York. It's not like they're well, I don't know, super far away. No, yeah, and New York to Atlantic City, if you just take the turnpike, is a straight shoot. Yeah. But they go off on side roads, which could potentially, depend depending on where you go along that route, like, there are areas of New Jersey that are super rural, and I'm not saying yeah. that there's, like, a large coal mining community yeah. in western Jersey, but there's a lot of rural Jersey. There's a lot of Jersey that doesn't, like, you don't feel like you're it's in- It's the Garden State. Yeah, and like you wake up, you could fall asleep in the car for an hour, wake up and and think you're in, you know, I don't like like middle of Georgia. Right. Yeah. Vulcanvania. So anyway, Vulcanvania is in New Jersey. And this is inspired by a true story, allegedly, that where Dan Aykroyd was pulled over somewhere in the middle of nowhere for I think the same exact thing, maybe not stopping at a stop sign and being taken to the justice of the peace's house where he had to stand trial. Yeah. And I think that like afterwards they had dinner at, he had dinner at the judge's house, but I can't (laughs) imagine that he had ants on a log and uh, questionably sourced hot dogs. Yeah. Questionably sourced. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, and there's, there's so many other bright spots. Like I, I laughed out loud during the fight scene with Chevy oh. Chase. And when he has the bedpan on his foot it's the so whole gross. time. so gross. 
Oh, it's so gross, but uh, it was so funny. Village Reeve hurt in foundry blast. So that's what happened to the poor old ugly puss bag. I thought I took care of my vermin problem last year. No. Well, I'm glad I forgot my pistol. <laughs> Bad call, Cornflake. I left that leg in France. And now... I'm gonna stick you! Crazy. I'm gonna dig so many new holes in you, you're gonna look like a salt shaker! Get the right Italian loafers out of my bed path! Chew on this, you stinking relic! Mushka! You know, you are worse than a week of yellow shitstorms. It's completely ridiculous, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun, and it's like, if you just watch this movie knowing that you're going to be watching some, like, something really crazy, then you're in for a real treat. And then you get Digital Underground as a bonus. You get Pac. Yeah, the first film appearance of Tupac, which encouraged me. So I feel like there were, you know, the gods were speaking to me because clearly just watched this movie. And then I was, so I live in Portland, Oregon, and I was driving down this one road and I see somebody on a corner that's selling all these t-shirts. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this one shirt and I was like, is that a poetic justice shirt? And like, that's so random for somebody, I don't know, like 27 years or whatever after it came out to be making a, or selling a poetic justice shirt whenever that came out, I guess. And I think 93. Yeah. Yeah. I think 93. And uh, the next day, and this is an area that I don't normally go to the next day. I happen to be in that same exact area and I'm going past that same exact corner, and I get a closer look at it. It says Portland Justice in the Poetic Justice graphical layout, uh, which... The font? Yeah, it's it's more than a font. It's like an actual, like, put-together style. And it's, it's a very distinct-looking yeah. thing. And it's a movie that I've never seen, but, like, I certainly know that logo... And uh, it was just like, you know what? I need to watch Poetic Justice. And it's interesting. Dan, have you seen Poetic Justice? I have. Not since, well, not in a long time. Like, probably well, not since 93. Yeah. So, you know, I watched it, you know, because I was told to by the gods. But also, it's like, you know, watching Tupac uh, in, a, in a movie after he really put everything into it in Nothing But Trouble, too. He was kind of great. But I... Uh, <laughs> Watching him in Poetic Justice is great, but it's like, you know, there are two movies where things go awry on a road trip. And, you know, I'm like, I'm making parallels where parallels should not be. But uh, <laughs> I don't it was, remember it that well, but I'm 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 pretty certain it doesn't end up with Dan Aykroyd in prosthetics eating hot dogs. Uh, not in the version I saw, but no. maybe there's a director's cut. But I uh, just... Real quickly, uh, great performance. I think maybe one of her first movies, um, Regina King, is, yeah. is awesome in it. Uh, it's a it's a pretty great movie. It's a, a really enjoyable watch. It's on maybe Showtime or something. Stars. I don't know. I, I remember it being very good. Yeah, it's great. Tupac, Janet Jackson. 
Yeah, Tupac. Uh, wonder or what other out. movies you would have gotten yourself into. I don't know. <laughs> How could you? I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what he would have been up, what he was up for. But it's well, what's but you think about other, you know, rappers at the time, and thinking about the things that they. I mean, you know, Ice T on Law and Order SVU. You know, who could have seen that coming? <laughs> oh, it's one of day. the great ironies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Ice Cube also being like of questionable integrity these days. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite sure where, where, where Ice Cube's Flavor head is. Flavor Flav's trajectory days. checks out. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone could have seen that coming. Yeah. No surprises there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we ended the last episode with Burn Hollywood Burn, which is a public enemy song mm-hmm. uh, featuring a lot of the people that we just talked about. So anyway, back from Portland Justice. Uh, <laughs> Portland yeah, so this Justice. this was playing on HBO all the time. Is that how you first saw this movie? Yeah, or, or rented it from Blockbuster. I didn't see it in the theater. Um, so it was either HBO or or a rental. And yeah, I, I remember not liking it. I yeah. remember thinking it was just... Bizarre. Well, because back then, you know, when I'm a kid, you think like, all right, so everything's got to make sense in a movie and everything's got to. And then it's just like, what's this weird random shit for no reason? And yeah, I I also didn't have the, you know, the critical thinking skills and ability to, you know, to analyze it, to sit there and analyze it. (laughs) Right. And for me, this isn't a movie that really should be analyzed. I think that this is more of a face value thing and watching it with the perspective of these are people who are, like I said, swinging for the fences at, at every turn. I makes me appreciate it in a lot of ways where it's like, Oh, somebody had the idea to make his nose an actual penis for like two shots Mm -hmm. and they did it. And that's glorious. It's why I, at a certain point in my theater going, not career, I don't know, but at a certain point in, in when I used to go to see a lot more theater, I stopped go trying to go see like a lot of regional theater and mm-hmm. professional theater and just wanted to see community theater and like high school theater because there's, it's like, you might be seeing, uh, you know, a production of, of something that like the cast is totally wrong for the parts mm-hmm. and like they're not very good, but it's like, damn it, they they really are loving this and they are yeah. really into it. And that makes me appreciate it more than I appreciate watching like Chevy Chase. That was the type of because Chevy Chase is is just there to collect his paycheck. Yeah. If it wasn't Chevy Chase, who would you have wanted to see in that role? Who maybe would have tried a little harder, maybe would have enjoyed it a little bit more? In in from that era, mm-hmm. um, people who I could see in that role that would um that would be better. Possibly uh like possibly Tom Hanks. I could see I could see like Steve Martin. Right. I could see Steve Martin doing a nice job Definitely with that. Definitely Bill I, Murray. Bill Murray, of course. Yeah. yeah. Bill Bill Murray was was also on my mind. I was to me, I just automatically went to Bill Murray because of the whole the smug thing and well, the smug the, thing. But I feel like also if it were Bill Murray, 
some of the things that he does would have made a lot more sense in a yeah. way. Well, yeah, because Bill Murray like tends to care about what he's doing and put thought in it. And I, I don't know much about, you know, the individual like rumors on set of of what Chevy I've heard like generally speaking, like these are all the awful things Chevy Chase has done and said. Mm. But I and I always think to myself, wow, you never hear these stories. And maybe they're there and I just haven't heard them about like when he's about like the vacation movies. Uh-huh. Where he's arguably playing a character who seems less like Chris in Nothing But Trouble seems to be like, you know, Chevy Chase is not exactly stretching. Yeah. From who we know to be Chevy Chase. Whereas I feel like in the vacation movies that just like all heart caring parent. Yeah. Who wants who goes and he seems to put so much more into those performances. Right. So, yeah, I feel like even a character, even like a character like Fletch. You well, know, th- but yeah. that's yeah. And and what I'm thinking is I wonder if Chevy Chase to be successful can't be working for his friends. Yeah. And I know he did this just because it was for his friend. But yeah. And, and I think that you also get it a little bit with John Candy. He definitely when he's playing El- Eldona, he puts in a little bit more because you kind of have to. And I think that the the aspect of of her being mute might have just been because having him do a voice just wouldn't maybe wasn't working or well i mean you've already got him in in the dress and the hair oh it's a lot well Uh, i read somewhere it might have been imdb but it's like part of this movie was written because dan Aykroyd just pictured john candy as a woman and couldn't stop laughing Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel like like a quintessential John Candy performance. Um, No. And even as Dennis, the cop, I mean, we we don't get much of that character. It does. There's really not much put into it. It's just a very normal person. But that's where I think the the director's cut. I That's what I want to know if this director's cut. Mm hmm. Because we don't really know how he helps the Brazilians escape. We just know he tells them to hide right. when when his cousin Valerie Bromfeld is, yeah. uh, you know, Miss coming Perda. after them. Yeah. yeah. We didn't really talk about her. She's just this. In, she's definitely a, a Judge Alvin devotee with her. Uh, yeah. She's his other his his granddaughter. Cause right. She's. Uh, yeah. Dennis and Eldona's cousin. Yeah. But yeah, we don't really find out much about her and like who are the the like the parents, the children of of Judge Alvin. That's, yeah, because there's another generation that we're not seeing at all. Yeah. So did they pay a I visit guess, to Mr. Bone Stripper? But that all right. So is this is this, are we segueing now into the the segment of the program when we discuss the yeah sure possibilities? Yeah, I mean, if it hasn't been made plainly obvious. They have never revisited this property. No. 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 (laughs) So it's up to us, I guess. Yeah. Um, What are you thinking? Well, I I mean, what we were just talking about is an interesting road to go down. I was thinking more about the original roots of Vulcanvania. And, you know, this banker that came in, mismanaged the money. I forget exactly what the story is, but... Uh, it's the reason why the town went completely to shit. And I, I think that that is 
one interesting road to go down, but also just like, you know, Judge Alvin in World War One when he was in France, you know, he he talks about being in France a couple times. Uh, it's how he lost his leg uh, or nose. I can't remember. But anyway, it's like I want to see the evolution of Judge Alvin going from like a regular guy because his grandson, Dennis, pretty regular dude. The other grandkids, a well, little less so. That That's what leads me to think there's like more of a story with the kids because for Dennis to be, you know, normal and somewhat feeling and empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been in one of the parents. But yeah, I don't know. I was I was thinking about it and thinking about other – there are, of course, a lot of other stories to tell because we don't have – we're missing a lot of answers. Yeah. But I would just – I would go back to the – like back to the original script and remake this. Get like hmm. Rob Zombie to direct. Ro- oh, totally Rob Zombie. I want to see Rob Zombie take like kind of your usual like this like his the Rob Zombie style, but I want the comedy too. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, like like a met like nothing but trouble, more in the style of House of a Thousand Corpses, but still funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, and Rob Zombie's you know kind of the pro at these like freak show horror comedies, and it's like that's what this wants to be. But it's just, you know, I think that that's, you know, it's hurt by getting your friends to be in it rather than, I don't know, casting people who are outside of your world, maybe. It also hurts by being a a studio movie Mm -hmm. that goes over budget and isn't going to make sense to a lot of execs who are just looking at it thinking about you know, the the dollar signs. Yeah. The movie needs to be made, and this is hindsight speaking, but it needs to be made by people who understand that it needs, like, this is the type of movie that needs to gain an audience. Mm -hmm. And it needs to gain, it's not just a movie that you can unleash onto the world and expect everyone to come flooding. It's the type of thing that needs to build, and there needs to be enough there to get people to say, you know, oh, wow, yeah, no, we we saw this crazy movie. It's only playing at this one theater uh, in yeah. the city and wh- I let a movie build. It also doesn't have to be, I mean, t- I, in today's, with today's budgeting, it wouldn't be so expensive to make something that no. would be good. And then just, I mean, yeah, I don't know what's in the original script or the original cut, but take what you have and there's a lot of blanks. Fill them in. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that are that are either un, unexplained, undeveloped. Fill it in, add to it, enhance it. Take what's there. Take it as as a first draft, mm-hmm. or a you know, take yeah. it as a draft. Do you think that Bobo and Lil Double were originally supposed to be in it, or do you think that they were added to kind of lighten it up? No, I think they were originally supposed to be in it. Yeah. There seems to be so much more of a purpose with them. Gee, we have to finish this work for Grandpa Alvin, okay? We're always working for him. He treats us like we're his dogs, not his grandsons. We got no human rights. He's just mad that we both got so fat we couldn't finish high school. You're the fat one because you always eat too much cereal. You're the one who's fat, not as fat as you. You're the fat one. Why not? Just get the hammer. I got it. 
you hold that straight. Hey, you're the one who's forging. Can't you even see? I can see you're stupid. Oh, that's it. I am never working for you in this factory again. Never. Give me that. Go get a ball peen hammer. No. You know the one that's round on here. I know the ball peen hammer's round. He thinks I'm his child. Trespasser! Get her! Get her! Oh! Stop! Trespasser, stop! The stone is scattered! That's good. Yeah, that's true. The stone is scattered. That's not good. No, that's no good! Hi! I'm Bobo. That's Little Devil. Hi. We're not allowed in the house. Oh, is she okay? They're just so bizarre. They are, but that's why I think it, it's got to be, like, there's more of a point to, like, to how, you know, whether the effects of, like, toxic waste or yeah, whatever Yeah, but, you know, what's interesting there. is, like, it's, you know, it's a whole coal situation. It's not established that there is a toxic waste component to this place. Isn't there not, do they not reference? I don't remember. I mean, you see old weird barrels, but it's never explained what's there. I don't know. It's just kind of funky. I mean, I I guess I just assumed it was all. You would assume it based on the way that Bobo and Lil Double look, but who? I, I don't really remember exactly how it fits in or it's mentioned so fast that like you just kind of miss it it's or just enough of it gets that, in there that you know that it exists but don't know how it exists yeah yeah i mean it's it's another one of those it's another one of those things that is there and you have to assume there's an explanation for it somewhere mm-hmm. yeah but uh, yeah. we also haven't talked about taylor negron taylor poor one out for taylor negron another one who uh Swings for the fences. Um, just such an over-the-top character. I, you know, I feel like this was a movie that made me aware of Teller Negron. What year I was the last Boy Scout? Ninety-one. So this is the same year that he did the last Boy Scout. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I might have been aware. I forget how I was aware of him, or if this was what made me aware of him. But I remember. I came out to California in 1998 and went to go see uh, an an improv show at the Groundlings Theater, and Taylor Negron was in it. Oh, no way. He was so funny and so fast and so uh-huh. sharp and so good, like just going from character to, to character. And I feel like I was I knew who he was before I saw that, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Uh, so we also haven't really talked about Demi Moore. No. <laughs> um, uh, John, what? I, well, what? What do you? What's your take on Demi Moore? What do you? My overall? my take is that she's coming off of Ghost. This is. I don't know if she had anything in between Ghost and this. Um, mortal thoughts. That I don't know, but it's like coming off of Ghost. 
Ghost is incredible and she was so good in it. And then you go to this, it just blows my mind. Um, and just in terms of, I like, I don't understand why she was cast in this role. It really boggles my mind how these things happen sometimes. Comedy guys need a beautiful actress to play off of. Yeah. And sometimes it's, sometimes it is to the benefit of the film, like a Ghostbusters. Right. Yeah. That's true. Um, because Sigourney Weaver's character is not just there to be the pretty girl love interest. Right. No, and I feel like Demi Moore was, you know, she she tried really hard. Like, she definitely is trying to act in this role in this movie. I just don't think that it gives her the opportunity to perform. And... Uh, you know, she went on to to do good movies after this, so it wouldn't, it, you know, didn't like ruin her career or anything. But no, I have to say, I've never been a huge fan of hers. Really, never. I've never. I've enjoyed her in certain movies, Few Good Men, but A Few Good Men, mm-hmm. Ghost. But that's uh, One Crazy Summer. Oh, she's so good in One Crazy Summer. But you know, you look at the the credits, and you know she she has Saint Almost Fire and about last night, and there was you know we're no angels. A lot of these are like you know I found them to be kind of you know mediocre. I uh, I never even saw Mortal Thoughts or The Butcher's Wife. Mm. I did was not a fan of Indecent Proposal or Disclosure. The Scarlet Letter that she was in in nineteen ninety five oh, yeah. was just terrible all over. Um, you know, and I, yeah, I've just never been a big fan of hers. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen her in anything where I felt like, yes, that was the best choice for this. You know, and and it's, yeah, I mean, well, I think that Ghost and A Few Good Men are probably, you know, some of her finest work. I know I've seen G.I. Jane, but I don't remember it all that well. I, I remember her being fine in it, I think, uh, I th- I think that also just like Demi Moore, she was just kind of chosen to be high profile. And because she was in movies like Ghost, it was just like, oh, yes, now look at her. And like she's on the cover of, you know, the magazines and all that kind of stuff. And I think that it was just a time when that meant a lot more. So it's just kind of in our minds a lot more. But yeah, she doesn't really have as much of the receipts as like some of the other people who maybe deserve the notoriety. I'm trying to I'm I'm thinking I'm like, who would possibly be good in that? Like if we're replacing Chevy Chase and Demi Moore apparently was difficult on the set as well. well and Chevy Chase and Demi Moore like pissed each other off. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are plenty of funny women in, you know, in the early 90s. Well, oh yeah, no, I yes, I'm, yes, I'm thinking. I'm just thinking like who would be the right person to to cast in this role and to put not just opposite the you know these comedians, but like alongside in 1991. I mean, I'm trying to think also for like specifically for that role. I mean, I could see like Phoebe Cates handling something like that pretty well. Phoebe Cates. Gina Davis. Gina Davis would would have been great. Gina Davis would have been really great. Uh, you know what? I know that like you wouldn't really go to this as being like major sex symbol, but you know who would be really fun? Sally Field. <laughs> she could yeah, she does that kind of that 
yeah, she could. She, she could does that, that thing. Well. She does that thing. You know, um, you're nothing but trouble. <laughs> Even like Meg Ryan would have been Meg really good. Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan would have been because Meg like yeah because uh, you know Meg Ryan say what you will about her but she definitely has a uh, a, a she has sense an energy comedy yeah she has an energy yeah um and actually like Meg Ryan. You know, we often forget she was in the doors and she was very good at I that. think was that 91 also? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. She yeah, I feel like especially in that era she could do a lot. I mean, you know, thinking about her in like Sleepless in Seattle, you know, she has the like the spastic energy yeah. that Demi Moore had uh in Nothing But Trouble but like could find the funny in things in a way that Demi Moore, I don't think, really can. Yeah, yeah. Like Demi Moore does. Demi Moore does much better with humor in the context of drama. Like there are some funny moments in A Few Good Men, but they don't necessarily require her to be funny. No, no, no. And you know, I all due respect to me more but i just never there there was never anything about her that made me really interested to watch her performances mm-hmm. and uh you know the man of the month we'll just talk about a little bit more dan Aykroyd. uh let's we won't talk about his role as bobo because there's really not much to talk about but he gave his all to his performance as the judge and you can tell that he's having a good time. You can tell that he's like doing his thing and he's like in his element. And what's not to love about that? Yeah, it's gross, but it's like it's, it's supposed to be a gross movie. Mission yeah, accomplished. Well, but but it, I mean, but I wonder, does it also it does it make you ask yourself, well, he's gross, but who's more gross, him or Chevy Chase? That is true. Yeah. And you know what? I We don't really get too much of a glimpse of like why Chevy Chase acts the way that he acts and pushes buttons that he shouldn't be pushing that like, if he didn't, he would be totally fine. Okay. The entire police chase turns out was pointless because he would have brought him in for the, uh, the stop sign incident anyway. But I feel like why would he try to run from the cops? Yeah, it like, makes no there's sense. There's no reason to, except for the fact that the Brazilians are egging him on. But, to, like, why does he care? He didn't even want to break. It's not like he's really trying to impress them. He's a character who always seems very impressed with himself. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there, there's a lot that, that doesn't, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that doesn't make sense. So, what are your thoughts about the Chevy Chase shaped hole in the wall? I forget. Did they have that? I think so. Squish, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Take it easy. I think you're just having a little nightmare. Oh, oh, it's over? Oh, yeah, it's over. You're okay. We're safe. Oh, God. Take it easy. Oh, jeez, what a weekend. Yeah, no kidding, but it's okay. 
I'm gonna go take a shower. Okay. Okay. Just rest. I'll rest. Okay. I'm gonna watch a little TV. Numerous fire companies from New York, New Jersey, Ohio, and all neighboring states are barely able to handle a subterranean mine fire near the town of Alconvania. Diane, you should see this. Our Susan Campost is on the scene. Roger, this cloud may have a silver lining. Geologists say the brief but intense heat from fissures 10 miles below have cooked the upper coal tailings into a fine medium-grade crude, over 50 million barrels. Wait, just, just one second, Roger. I see one of the village residents rummaging through the remains. Excuse me, sir, how do you feel now that you have lost everything? At least we all got out alive, of course. There's nothing left for us here now, so we're all planning to move in with my grandson-in-law. Oh, no. He lives in New York City. Oh, come on, what? No, what? See you soon, banker. No, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, you won't. Do you think that that was one of those moments where they're just like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we did this? And then they just went for it? Or do you think that that was I, like... I mean, Always I wonder if they it. were just like, this is such a cartoon at this point. I, yeah, I, it seems to me, but, but it seems to me like a Warner Brothers early 90s hallmark because it also reminds me of when the bat gremlin flies through the wall <laughs> and leaves the perfect bat shape. Right. But that makes Although sense that, in that movie. Well, it also, but it's also, yeah. Uh, and also makes sense considering Warner Brothers uh, at that time. Well, yeah. I, I think that also, because we start the movie with Chevy Chase's character being this, you know, wealthy, I live in a penthouse in New York City finance guy. I have the awesome car with the like first GPS system or whatever. You know, it's yeah. like we don't get any cartoonish vibe until we get to Vulcanvania and then it what does it just like become part of him like does he just catch that virus of cartooniness from the ants on the log maybe the cartoon virus um yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe that's that's it is it just that's that's what happens i have no idea why they put that in there i doubt it was originally in there that seems to me like a stu- like a, a studio exec suggested it i don't know it just as cartoonish as it is it doesn't or, quite fit or it's like a oh you want me to add comedy elements to this what if we have him jump through the wall and his body is the shape of the hole in the wall and then we have the and then they're just like great i love it let's do it yeah i i could totally see like, that as yeah uh yeah i don't know yeah. i mean is this a good movie no is it a fun movie yes is it it's an Interesting movie, and in contrast to Driving Miss Daisy, the Academy Award winner that I could not get more than halfway through without turning it off in disgust, nothing but trouble watching it now in in hindsight actually leaves you thinking, well, maybe there maybe maybe th- there there could be a little bit more to this, whereas driving Miss Daisy it was this is not what. This is not all it was cracked up to be. Also, dare I say, more impressive makeup in Nothing But Trouble. Yeah, where's the Oscar for Nothing But Trouble? More impressive makeup. <laughs> Call the hindsight yeah. awards. <laughs> nothing But Trouble is going to do... Like, Nothing But Trouble and Ishtar are going to sweep in the hindsight awards. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, uh, Dan, anything else you want to yeah. talk about with this one? No, I I definitely appreciated the the opportunity to go back and really uh, just to kind of reflect on the whole month. I've appreciated that we. I mean, we gave we created this opportunity. Yeah, but I've appreciated looking at Dan Aykroyd because he's the type of actor who's been around and done so much, but. I feel like his co-stars have always gotten more focus, whether it be John Candy, Chevy Chase, Eddie Murphy, so on and so, mm-hmm. so Tom forth. Hanks. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah. To be able to to look at, at his work and and recognize what he brings to the table and how what he does is inevitably what makes all of his partners better. Yeah. Not better than him, just better than they were before. Sure. I got to, you know, just want to have that that appreciation. I got to publicly appreciate Dan Aykroyd. And while we're on the subject of public appreciations and people named Dan, Dan, it was just your birthday. A happy Ruined Childhood's belated birthday to you. Thank you. Doing Thank you very a, much. a month about Dan Aykroyd is, is truly a gift to us all. It is the gift. The Dan Aykroyd... Um, filmography is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So why don't you tell everyone what we're going to be doing for our next month of movies? So we're, we're going into November and November is the month of Thanksgiving. And it's a good time for us to think about what we're grateful for. So John and I are going to be talking about some of the, the movies that we are in, that we're grateful for. That we've been grateful for over That's the years. Right. And we're going to get things rolling with the 2002, directed by Danny DeVito, starring Edward Norton, the late Robin great Williams. Robin Williams. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about, and Catherine Keener. Gotta shout out Catherine John Keener. Stewart. We're, John Stewart, Harvey Firestein, Danny DeVito. We are talking about Death to Smoochie. That's right. And if you never saw Death to Smoochie because, I don't know, you believed the hype. Yeah. It's a great dark comedy. I'm excited to watch it again. We will talk about it on the next episode of Ruined Childhoods. Oh, wait a second. This is a pretty one more thing for the next episode. (laughs) Because we're talking about it at the very end of this one. But uh, we didn't talk about Brian Doyle Murray, who's... Listed in the opening credits of Nothing But Trouble, but is in it for like half of a second and maybe has a line at the end. Shows up like an hour and a half in. For like yeah. a second. Anyway, he's not even the the main fed. He's just in the no. conference room. We just spent more time talking about Brian Doyle Murray in Nothing But Trouble than Brian Doyle <laughs> Murray is in Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> That's true. So Dan, on your travels... To Atlantic City, I hope you have a safe and good journey. And a good journey to you. <laughs>